but it's okay, okay that, that my phone, phone just blew up, up on me. me. Because my microphone's turned off anyway. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. I'm here by my lonesome. Can you believe that? Al actually, like, abandoned me and stuff. I'm so hurt. But uh, he says he owes me, but uh, I say he owes me a lot more than that. But anyway, welcome to the live stream for tonight. We're going to be talking about the Red Record. And uh, if we have technical issues, remember, head on over to rumble.com slash user slash slash live. And uh, give me a few minutes just to get up and running again. And hopefully we won't have any problems. And uh, also for those of you on Rumble, uh, if you are uh, interested, you can help support the, the podcasts and the channel with Rumble Rants. And for the entire year of 2023, uh, all proceeds are going to the producers, which of course is us. And uh, so you support the channel that way. And uh, so with that in mind, I've got my list. And that link will take you to whatever live stream is running at the time in case something goes horribly wrong. Uh, also, um, next week, I think. I think? No, no, I just, just got, got that, that scribbled out. We'd, We'd also, also like to remind everyone that the views expressed in this live stream are those of the participants, which is myself today. And, uh, oh, but there's an echo. Okay, thank you for letting me know, Testbot. Because, um, yes, there was an echo. There's an echo in my headphones, actually. So let me see if I can narrow down... Give me one, one second, second, folks. We, we had, had so many, many problems with uh, let's try that. All right. So can you please let me know if I still have sound? Uh, I didn't have my headphones set up on the computer. Um, Monitor only. If I put it on monitor only, now that Al's not here, um, I don't have to worry about all the switching and stuff. But unfortunately, that kind of threw me for a loop because I had everything set up for two people. And so let's see if we go there. Uh, echo, huge echo. Do we still have an echo there? Okay, good sound now. Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah, we're showing good levels, and I'm not hearing anything in the headphones because I turned it off. Thank you for those who mentioned something because we've had horrible issues with sound, and uh, I want to thank you all for um, joining, especially the past two weeks. Oh my goodness, the sound issues we had, and because I could not monitor. I could not hear the sound that was going on here in the studio, and it was overdriven and there was noise reduction going on. So it would, the two were fighting each other and I didn't hear any of it until the next day. And I was so upset when I heard that. Uh, but thankfully, Anthony Reno, very kindly, thank you, Anthony. Um, I couldn't even 
listen to the replay and edit it to try and salvage the audio. And Anthony did. And I really appreciate I, I know not just myself, Anthony, but many people appreciated it, expressed appreciation because they wanted to catch it. And even in spite of the horrible audio issues, still hundreds of people were uh, downloading and listening. So thank you all for, for joining me. Uh, next week, we are going to have, uh, the next week's topic is two weeks to live. Now, what would you do if you were at the doctor's office and the doctor grabs you by the shoulders and gives you a good shake and tells you, you don't have three weeks left to live? What would you do? And I got my good friend, Roland Heddens. Uh, that was probably, that was him in the doctor's office. Probably, I'm going to guess 20 years ago. I meant to ask him um, when that was, but uh, that was probably 20 years ago. He's still alive today and he's going to join us next week and he's going to share his story. And we're going to take a look at what I'll loosely refer to as the spiritual root of diseases. Now, of course, there's more to it than that, but that's the bottom line. And Roland's going to share his testimony of where he had uh, lymphoma and in the CT scanner, his body, entire body lit up like a Christmas tree. It was just like Christmas lights in the CT scanner. He had cancer in every single lymph node. It was spreading to his other organs. And the doctor basically, you know, his kidneys were shutting down. The doctor told him flat out, you don't have three weeks. And two weeks later, he came back with a complete bill of health. What on earth happened? So he's going to, so I hope you'll join me next week for that. Um, so, so last week we had several people, uh, write in with, uh, various questions and whatnot. Um, <laughs> this wasn't a question. This was just, uh, um, where did it go? Screen and two. Yes. Let's just do that one. one. So, so this, this was, was after, after the global warming, aliens, aliens caused global warming episode. episode. Uh, why, why isn't China concerned about global warming? Because, because they, they already have a communist government. government. I, I think, think that just says it all right there. <laughs> so, okay, let me uh, switch to, we had some questions, right? Some people wrote in with um, questions after last week's episode. And uh, that one was from the previous week's episode. Let me see if I can, I set this up. Where did it go? No, no, there it is. What? what? Oh, well, yes, yes, of course. course. Okay, okay, so, so Deb wrote in, she very, very, very good question. She said, one thing, it makes sense that Vishnu would be a name for Noah, but I've looked and cannot find anything about Vish, meaning out of water or fish or anything like that. I only found that Vishnu, uh-oh, echoes back, uh-oh. Okay, thanks, well, folks on YouTube. Um, those on Rumble, are you hearing an echo as well? Let me check Facebook feed real quick and post the meme. Okay, I'll, I'll do as Ailey was just uh, saying on Facebook, post the meme. Um, I will try and do that. Uh, give me one second. Okay, that's, oh, I think I know where this is coming from. Nope. So, so I think, I think I've, I've got, got a feed open somewhere with the volume on. Give me one second okay, to try and find it. Folks on YouTube. Probably um, that one. Those on Rumble. Are you hearing uh, let me know, well, folks, if you hear anything. Uh, 
Oh, there it is. I've got rumble on full blast. No wonder there's an echo. <laughs> okay, when you share your screen, echo comes back. Okay, okay. Thank you. Okay, got it. Yeah, and that's because I've got rumble open uh, for the chats. Thank you for letting me know, folks. I appreciate that very much. Let me go back to Deb's question. Hopefully that uh, echo is gone. Here an echo on rumble. Testbot is mentioning. Thank you. So I only found that Vishnu is the preserver god, one of three, along with the creator and the destroyer, who tells Manu to build a boat to escape a flood. Did you ever find your source for the original meaning of Vishnu? Okay. Thank you very much, Deb, for writing an excellent question. Um, so this actually goes back to, uh, this is original research by a friend of mine who shall for the moment remain nameless. Uh, he is a creationist, he is a Canadian, um, and he has been doing a, a, a real deep dive and had a lot of linguists really excited around the world uh, because he was looking at this from um, different perspectives, mythologies and whatnot around the world. And in particular, he was looking at Noah and his whole family, because if you look at a timeline after the flood, they all get off the ark and everyone that was on the ark lived ridiculously long ages. And people who were born after they got off the ark, they were dying off before the people who were on the ark finally passed away. And so he speculated what happened was it's like these people never died. And so uh, the, the people born afterwards uh, may, basically deified them, made them into gods. And uh, Gad, for example, is one of those, the fish god. Vishnu is another example. Um, so they're talking about uh, in your share screen on YouTube. Shalom, Dan Stinker. Shalom, Dan. And Shalom, Jungle Jargon. Okay, so there's still an echo on my share screen on YouTube? Hmm. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. Um, oh, hold on a second. That's right. YouTube was giving me an error when I started up. So I wonder... No, it's muted. Oi, Brother JJ. <laughs> I know, what a mess, eh? Okay, I'm not quite sure where I'm getting the echo from. So let's uh, keep me posted, folks, if you could. I appreciate the, um, the, the feedback because I didn't get that last week because I was, I was looking at like four different chats. So uh, this way I appreciate... Uh, okay, TestBot is reporting that the echo is gone now. So apparently some people on YouTube are saying that is when I'm sharing my screen. Okay, so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, keep me posted, guys. Thanks. I appreciate the feedback. Um, so uh, Vishnu was one of these these examples. And uh, so this was actually this this is actually an article that was actually very well written. I just really like what he wrote, but it was an article called Why the Similarity Between Traitors and Prostitutes derived from words by Mr. Dev Dutt is wrong. And it was by uh, Varun Mohanpuria. I hope I said that right. Uh, but I just love what he said here. Oh, yeah, you know what? 
I think I can hear that echo when I do the screen share. I wonder what that is. Oh, I see what it is. Okay, my desktop audio. Okay, remind me later on. Okay, let me see if the echo is gone. And uh, remind me later on when I go to play some clips for you is that I turn the audio back on because I just turned the sound off for everything. So anyway, I like what really like what he wrote here. It's just very concise. The root word for both Vesheya and Veshya is the same, Vish. And unlike the current reference of Vish as poison, it meant water in the Vedic Sanskrit. It also referred to tribe or settlers. So in other words, uh, very much like settlers of the water. That was really the, the translation from it. And it's become mutated into uh, poison or fish now. And uh, by the way, that is in the references in the description of the video. Uh, I'll be including all those. Echo is gone. Thank you, Mark. Uh, so, okay, so that apparently didn't. Power. Okay, so just don't let me forget. I got to turn my desktop audio back on uh, later on when I go to show you uh, some videos. So anyway, that was uh, that. Was that. Uh, we also had Joshua wrote in about last week when I was venting on Facebook after the horrible audio completely trashed the entire live stream and all my hard work and bearing my heart. Joshua wrote in, amazingly good time. I felt I was around the coffee table with good friends and awesome conversation. You'll figure out the audio issues eventually. Well, so far, so far we're not off to a very good start, but that's okay. A uh, few last, we're trying out a completely new system this week. John Pounders gets a little too far out there with his cryptozoology and legends, etc. But his one interview with the Riverwinds of North Dakota is very interesting concerning Hebrew words in the First Nations language. Now, this is very interesting. In fact, um, this was in the reference. I referenced this video in the live stream uh, references last week. Uh, there's the Riverwinds. Uh, I, if I recall, he's actually a uh, an Indian chief uh, down in Tennessee, if I recall. Um, it's been a while, so I forget all the details exactly. Uh, but this was a fascinating testimony about these are all Christian native people, and they went over to Israel. And they were singing native songs in their original language. And if you remember last week, I mentioned the importance of going back to the original First Nations languages, how important that was. Um, and so they were singing in their original First Nations languages. And the Jews there uh, told them to stop singing. You're singing the name of, the, of our high God. You can't do that. And with the native traditions, of course, it's once you start, started singing the song, you can't stop. You're not supposed to stop. And so eventually the Jews actually joined in in, in, in singing the song. So it's a, a phenomenal, fascinating testimony. And I actually provided the reference in the description and in the references, complete with time code where he shares that story. But uh, again, this was just to, to bring especially my First Nations brothers and sisters um, to call their attention to looking at the original First Nations languages. Go back as far as you can, um, because they're becoming extinct. 
all your elders are growing old and dying off and they're taking off they're taking with them all the stories the first Nations stories which i would contend those stories and those first nation languages all tell of the creator sai gichimanitu we call we call him here in crete uh in canada sai gichimanitu i would suggest to you and i challenge you to go and find that i believe you will find that Jesus Christ is none other than that creator in your own culture's storytelling. And I challenge you to find it for, find it for yourself and learn it for yourself. But you got to go back to the original languages as much as possible and the original stories as much as possible because they've, they've all been transliterated into English, uh, like we talked about last week, and I'll show you here in just a moment, the, you know, the Seneca word for uh, turtle, they call North America Turtle Island. Well, the Seneca world, word, which is a language that is quickly becoming extinct, um, the Seneca word is Hanoa. Well, what are the odds that a First Nations culture here in North America would have a legend or a myth of a flood in which this creature called Hanoa <laughs> saved everybody on a floating vessel of some kind. What are the odds? Now, of course, it's a trend. You can see the connection with Noah and the flood, of course. But the, the name Noah was remarkably similar to the Seneca word for turtle. And so anyway, we, we, I went into that last week. I'll get into it a little more here. Um, this week, uh, but uh, let's see. We got one other. I've got one other question that was written in. Tino, Tino wrote in. And before I get that, let me just check the comments. The Great Spirit, yes, I agree, Dan. Thank you, Chief Joseph's Sumerian Tablet. I'm not familiar with that one. I don't think. Native American haplogroup. Okay, Jungle Jargon is saying Native American haplogroups and autosomal segments are sometimes Mediterranean. Very interesting. I've listened to these Native Americans before. Uh, Dan Strait, I think, is how he's going. Uh, they do have a fascinating testimony. They made all kinds of connections to Israelite traditions and words. I I agree. Uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And... I'm kind of touching on a little bit of it here last week and this week. Uh, we're going to look into the Red Record, which is one of the very few uh, written First Nations languages uh, in just a moment. Uh, okay, so Tino also wrote in, one question in case I missed the live showing, is it fair or accurate to call them First Nations when we can be pretty certain someone else was there before them? That's not to be disparaging of the Indians, just an attempt to be accurate. They certainly substantiate a lot of Bible truths. Uh, thanks for writing in, Tino. Um, it's, it's funny he asked this question because when I first started, when I first started sharing about how I was uh, venturing out to work with the First Nations people, um, and as I mentioned last week, I mean, I, I'm my great grandmother was Mohawk, uh, pure blood Mohawk. I've actually got more. Uh, Indian in me than a lot of the Métis here 
in Canada, ironically. Um, but because the whole, um, the Indian status, for example, was very patriarchal, not matriarchal, which is why I can't get my status. Um, but anyway, uh, regardless, when I first started out uh, sharing what I'm going to show you in just a minute with Jeremy and my children's show, um, I had a lot of pushback and a lot of resistance. Uh, you know, you, just, you, can't, well, you can't do that. Go and try and minister to First Nations kids. What? No, you can't do that. And all the pushback came from white people. <laughs> all of it. And uh, you know who calls the First Nations people Indians? Indians. Uh, so, Laura, last week, the uh, I, I showed... Let me see. Yes, I did. There it is right there. Um, Laura, last week, um, did this fantastic drawing on the drop of a hat. Go visit her, her uh, art page there. Laura made this beautiful graphic at the drop of a hat last Friday, uh, last Friday, just before the live stream. And uh, this, of course, is Wayne Abujo, uh, the uh, Anishinaabe uh, legend of Wayne Abujo. And the, there's that turtle again in the flood, in the flood legends and myths of the Anishinaabe people. And uh, she drew all this up on the drop of a hat. I was so impressed. Laura is a counselor on the Nipissing Reserve here uh, just outside of North Bay in Ontario. And she has just been a, a wonderful help. She, because like I said last week when I was visiting with the, at the Indigenous Hub in Pembroke, I told them I was raised a white boy. I really was. And um, Laura was giving me a lot of instructions on how to uh, approach the chiefs and the elders. You know, the, the, the traditions, what you do, what you should research and learn. And she's just been exceptionally helpful. And one of the things she said to me at the time, she says, uh, wait till you meet the chief here. He's whiter than you. And she's right. <laughs> he was. <laughs> anyway, I, I digress. Where was I going? Oh, yes. Okay. So all the, all the First Nations people have been hugely supportive and very interested in everything I've been saying and doing and trying to get to do and get into. And they've been hugely supportive. And I have connections with the reserve here uh, just outside of town. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yes. Tino's question. Yes. So is it okay to call them First Nations? Well, they call themselves Indian. That's who calls them Indian. My, my cousin Derek, he's a card-carrying Blackfoot. He calls himself Indian. I mean, every, every First Nations that I've talked to has called themselves Indian. Even Laura, when I was chatting with her, she's like, oh, I didn't get the memo. I don't know what they're calling us now. I think it's First Nations, but it was Aboriginal. But no, then that's like the Australian guys. And, uh, you know, so I think it's they've settled on First Nations now. Um, so it's it's just, it, it it's become so uh, PC <laughs> um, is, is the problem. So, I mean, it's a term that's come up because uh, certain white people turned the term Indian into a derogatory term, okay? Um, I certainly don't mean it as a derogatory term in any way, uh, and I would have to include myself in that people group because I have native roots, apparently. Um, but uh, so when I was bringing all this up with uh, um, friends of mine, and in particular the drawings I'm going to show you is uh, in just a moment, 
Bad Gamer says, I support you. Hey, thanks. Uh, I'm going to show you the AI drawings that I had of Jeremy, the native kid, in my children's show. And when I put that out there, and I met a lot of resistance, you know, from, from white people saying, you can't do that. No, 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 you don't, don't. You're going to misrepresent. You're going to offend them. Nobody would ever tell me how I'm going to offend them. They never said anything specific. I mean, okay, if you can save me from offending people, please tell me. And nobody ever did. It was just this vague, oh, you're going to offend them. And in the meantime, what I've seen is the exact opposite. And when I was venting about this with um, my buddy Kevin out in Nova Scotia, his wife is uh, Micmac. And so his, his wife is First Nations. I think it was the Meowpuk tribe. <laughs> band out in Labrador. I had to ask because I had never heard of this, heard of this band before. Uh, so they're, they're, a, a, a part of the Micmac, uh, peoples. And, uh, so I just love what Kevin wrote here. Uh, I'm just going to quote Kevin. What offends my wife is when people expect her to be offended or to feel victimized, treat people like people, not IEDs. And for those of you not familiar with the term, IED is improvised explosive device, i.e. a bomb. So in other words, what Kevin was said, and thank you, Kevin, that was, that was brilliantly put. Um, treat people like people, not a bomb that's going to go off. Come on. Like, this is getting a little out of hand. Anyway, okay, let me just go to the chats real quick here. I'm going to hop on YouTube. Paraku, okay, the jungle jargon is, uh, Paraku, did I say that right, jungle jargon? Paraku in the Amazon is thought to be electric eel. I'm from Paraku, which is a mis misnomer for the Paracucuera, which should have been Poraqua. You know what? Here, give me one second. I set this up so I could go to the YouTube chats. I'm just reading right here, which should have been Poraquiquara, which was supposed to be around here, Quara, eel. Okay. <laughs> I don't exactly know what that means, but hey, <laughs> thanks. I blame my Indian heritage for my inability to grow a nice beard. Oh, that's tragic. It's offensive to people when people treat others like victims. Yeah, I kind of, okay, one second. I got to go to Rumble Chats. Uh, give me one second. Switch over to this. Let's move on. Uh, but that was, you have to admit, that was a brilliant, a brilliant quote. All right, so last week I mentioned the children's show To put together here, uh, we launched the Give, Give, Send, Go last week. So GiveSendGo.com slash Tech Valley. There is Tony the T-Rex hiding out from the, uh, in behind the sign at the Tech Valley Science Center. There's even a story behind how I wound up with that name for the children's show. Because that was originally not supposed to be the name. Originally, the name was supposed to be... Uh, creation exploration 
it was a creation science show for children, a creation science education show. We uh, use our, our, cause it's myself and five super genius kids. We travel around the universe, exploring God's creation, using our inventions and learning science, technology, and God. And that was the sort of the premise behind the show. And Jeff Thiessen, the station manager at Miracle Channel here in Canada, which airs Genesis Week for 11 years running now, um, Jeff has decades under his belt of children's television productions. So what he says is gospel truth. So we're talking on the phone, oh, must have been early last year. It was over a year ago anyway. And uh, he was, we were talking about this show because he's been hugely supportive. They really want this on Miracle Channel's sort of, uh, they've got their Christian Netflix for kids that they're putting together. And so they're trying to get content for it. He really wanted this. He's, he loves my work. He's been a huge supporter for many years. And he really wants this for their network. And so he was asking me, we were talking about the show. And he asked me, he said, what are you calling it? I said, Creation Exploration. What? No, 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 no. That's no, no. That's awful. No, don't use that. Come up with something else. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what Jeff says is gospel truth. So when he said that, I'm like, okay. Well, for whatever reason, if that's awful, it's awful. Fair enough. So I prayed about it, thought about it, and that was when I came up with um, the Tech Valley Science Center, which is actually the name that I came up with for my education center, which I started here in Eastern Ontario. When I quit my railroad job, I, uh, my intention was to do science and tech education programs, both online and in-person workshops. So this was the name of the Tech Valley Science Center. And the reason I came up with that name is because we're in the Ottawa Valley here. This is Canada called Silicon Valley North. It's the Canadian version of Silicon Valley. Uh, that's just an hour and 45 minutes the other way. Uh, here in Chalk River, we, of course, we have the Chalk River Nuclear Labs. Uh, a, the, before it was demolished, we had the Petawaba Forestry Institute, which was a major biotech research facility uh, here in eastern Ontario. Um, so basically, so Deep River, the town of Deep River, which was built basically uh, to house the people who were both building and working at the Chalk River Nuclear Labs here in Chalk River. Deep River and Chalk River has the highest number of university degrees per capita in the whole country of Canada. And so this is the Tech Valley. That's why I came up with Tech Valley Science Center. And praying about it, I figured, well, why not call it Tech Valley Science Center, the children's show? It's a long title but it's perfectly applicable. And so that's how we wound up with that. And as I shared a bit last week, now I'm winding up taking my science and tech education programs. Uh, looks like I'm going to be taking them to the First Nations Reserves all across the country, as well as the children's show, which as I shared last week, is um, while it is only, while First Nations children probably only make up less than 1% of the population of Canada, 20% um, of the show is specifically uh, that that is the target audience. First Nations children, 5 to 15 years old. 
Um, so this is the this is a map of the network that I'm looking to get uh, get involved in, um, and we still haven't solidified anything yet. But this is basically this is the network of schools. So it's 142 schools that you're looking at there. And notice what I want you to see here is notice where all they are. Like up here in the Yukon Northwest Territories, way up in the Nunavut. This was uh, uh, Greece Fjord, I believe, is about 70 eight degrees latitude. So it's, I mean, we're, we're talking way up there. It's really up there. Uh, all down here, uh, in especially in uh, northwestern Ontario, up by Sioux Lookout, which of course there's a huge number of remote fly-in or boat-in only uh, First Nations reserves. Well, there, a number of them have uh, their schools a part of this educational network as well. Um, but what I want to point out here is the diversity of the people groups and the languages here. Uh, so, I mean, up here you're talking uh, Inuktitut, which is, first of all, has multiple dialects. The dialect over here is very, very different from the Inuktitut dialect over here. Uh, down here, uh, northwestern Ontario, majority of those reserves speak Ojakree, which is a combination of Ojibwe or Algonquin, Anishinaabe, it's all the same thing, uh, which is a combination of Ojibwe and Cree. Now, I had been learning Cree, uh, as I shared last week, as part of, um, in preparation for the children's show. Because uh, if you can learn the Cree syllabic, and actually, I can show you here, because I got an overhead cam. Are you ready for this? Where was that going with this? Oh, yes. Okay. So, uh, I was going to show you this with, uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. there it is. I was going to show you this with uh, Al because Al, the usually my co-host, who bailed on me. And he forgot to tell me he was bailing on me. Can you believe that? Oh. Anyway, Al, he... Uh, uh, Al is actually the voice of Tony the T-Rex in the children's show. So that was why I had this screen in there. Uh, that was the original live action. So what I did uh, last year sometime, <coughs> excuse me, um, I put no audio. Oops. Share overhead. Oh, oh, there's no audio in the overhead. Oops. Okay, let me see if I can fix that. Thank you for letting me know. I didn't see that, unfortunately. Well, why is there no audio? The audio's there. Okay, well, I will keep that in mind. Give me one second. Let me, let me just switch cameras to the overhead. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure why the overhead, uh, why the audio isn't working with the overhead camera. The three millimeter microphone was there. Okay, well, I will bear that in mind. I guess I won't use my overhead camera. I will use this camera instead. So anyway, oh, I was so proud of that setup too. Anyway, so what I did last year. So my artist, Oren, is a 2D cartoonist. That was, and he's done a lot of cartoon work for me. Uh, and I really love his work. And we were brainstorming about what this Jeremy kid would look like. 
so he's a native kid. Uh, all the kids wear lab coats, of course. And so he decorates it and flourishes and whatnot, uh, just with native artwork uh, as a flourish on his, uh, on his lab coat and pants and everything. And so what we, what I did was I used Midjourney AI and just tried to get it to, to give us inspiration. And so these are some of the drawings that came up with. I'm going to go to full screen for this actually. So you can see a little better. Um, so I had no intentions of using these. Uh, this was just to inspire us, to inspire Or and I. Uh, the reason he's flying there is because he uh, builds a jetpack and he starts off every single show flying off, flying in his jetpack out of control and learning how to fly it. So these are the things that came up with. And uh, everyone liked his dog, but, you know, typical AI, it's like, oh, his dog needs real help. <laughs> But uh, so these are some of the images it came up with. And we were just looking at, you know, things like the flourishes, because this was supposed to be a lab coat that Jeremy decorated himself. So this was the first rendition. And these were the flourishes that uh, he came up with. Um, so this was just strictly the first draft. You can see he's got his rocket pack in the back there. And uh, it's because you turned off the audio for screen sharing. It's the same audio. Hmm. But you guys can hear me now, right? Okay. Uh, no, oh, one second. Was it made by a certain... F okay, you know, one second. I'm just going through the comments, and there's a lot of them. Uh, last one was a bit steampunk. I agree. Eve Dawn is just saying there's the last one was a bit of steampunk. Oh, nice among us crochet sculpture. Yes. And yes, that was, uh, that was my, my sister that made those. You know, yeah. Uh, matched pair. So yeah, <laughs> I always like throwing those in the, uh, in the views. Okay. Those are amazing. Okay. Yeah. We hear you now. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know. So this is what Oren came up with, with for the first draft. Uh, we learned a few things. Uh, Oren's, his brother or his cousin? I'm trying to remember if it's it was his half brother, a relative of some kind, was uh, First Nations card carrying, and um, I forget which tribe he was from. Uh, I think Ojibwe, actually. And so Oren consulted with him, and it was actually really helpful. And so he suggested things like he has to have braids, uh, that is a, a must, and. So he, uh, Oren put braids on him. There's his rocket pack on. And, uh, so the pro the problem was, as you can see here, his lab coat is like really short. I was pointing this out to him. I said, uh, you know, it, it's a lab coat. It's gotta be full length. Right. And so Oren's like, well, yeah, but then it gets caught. Uh, it, it's in the flames of the rocket pack. And so I'm like, perfect. So he's perpetually got a huge burned out patch in the back of his lab coat. And it'll be like a running joke in the show. And there you can see it there. So there's the burnt out patch on the back of his lab coat that will forever be burnt out in every single episode he ever appears in. Every time he turns around, you see a huge burnt, burnt off patch in his, in his lab coat. And so that's what he's got so far. This is all 2D. So the show will be in 3D, but we were just... This is like storyboarding, right? 
So it's coming up with the concepts. Okay, I'm going on for a long, long, long time. So Jeremy, this native kid, fascinated with cultures and languages. So he's familiar with, he's, he's a polyglot. He's self-taught. He's learned all these First Nations languages and languages really around the world as well. And uh, so he, because he's from up here in Northwestern Ontario, uh, he speaks Oja Cree primarily. That's, I, I don't specify which reserve he's from because I want all First Nations kids to relate to him. He is one of them, right? So that's, that's the, the goal there. Um, so that they can live vicariously through him, so that they can relate to him. He is one of them. Um, so as it turns out, one of the reserves up here uh, is actually got one of the highest rates of First Nations language in Anishinaabe, which just so happens to be the first what they speak here at the Colton Lake Reserve, where I have connections already. And if those of you who were caught us last week, you know my history with the science camp and Wayne and Carol Campbell, who started it. And I lived with them and worked there for 21 years of my life. Well, when I was trying to learn the Anishinaabe language, I had totally forgotten Wayne had done this. Way back in the, in the, the early 2000s, in the late 90s actually is when he did this, he recorded students from the Golden Lake Reserve speaking the Anishinaabe language. And because it was becoming extinct. And this was in the early days of the internet. And he, he had a lot of vision. And so he wanted to make an online audio library of the Anishinaabe language, which is basically Ojibwe. It's, it's one of the many dialects of Ojibwe. And so uh, anyway, so it was just, it was kind of fun to be able to stumble upon that again. I totally forgotten that he, even, he had even done that. So I'm learning it that way. Uh, okay, so last week, before we move on and get to the actual uh, topic at hand. Oh, this is it. Okay. So last week I mentioned um, the Chinese characters and how uh, there, uh, Ethel, Ethel Nelson and her uh, book on the original, her original book on the topic where you can see the creation account, the gospel message, all of this preserved in the original uh, Chinese characters. And here's one example. So the bronzeware uh, character for ship. Um, it's uh, the ship, which is composed of three different symbols, a boat with eight mouths or people. Now, what an unusual character. Why on earth would it be, would the word for ship be a character composed of three different words for boat and eight people? Well, Noah's Ark, uh, the, the, you know, the connections are, are evident, but there's, let me see if I can explain this. The First Nations languages, which I'll give you an example here, if I can find it, and I will hold it up for you. So my sister got me this book. Of all places, she got it at the thrift store. 
So uh, we have, of course, many of you will have Bibles, which are parallel Bibles. They have uh, the original Greek or Hebrew uh, on one side and uh, English on the other. And so you can read directly in two different languages. I had been looking for this because I've been trying to learn multiple. <laughs> I mean, you, you saw the, let me, let me show you the map again. Whoops. <clears throat> so up here, you got a nook to took. Out here, you've got typically Cree uh, or dialects of Cree. Uh, down here, it's more dialects of Cree. Over here, it's Oja Cree, which is a combination of Ojibwe and Cree. And there's a bunch of different dialects. You've got Plains, Western, Eastern Cree. You've got Moose Cree up here at uh, Moose, uh, Moose Jaw, or not Moose Jaw, Moose Factory. Uh, they speak a dialect of Moose Cree. Uh, down here, you've got uh, Ojibwe and Anishinaabe and various dialects of that. So I'm trying to collectively get a handle <laughs> on as many of these languages as humanly possible. Okay, which is why I started with the Cree, which is interesting because that one reserve I mentioned over here, which has the highest rate of speaking, uh, speaking the original Ojibwe language, um, they, although here, the Golden Lake Reserve, they write using the English alphabet. They write the Anishinaabe and is translated in using the English characters. Not at that reserve. At that reserve, they use the Cree syllabic. So again, it's come in handy, right? So anyway, let me, uh, let me get to, I was getting to this and I will go to my camera because my sister found this at the thrift store. This is uh, a bit of a history book of Calumet, and I don't know if that's backwards or not. Oh, it's showing it forwards on my screen. Good, good, good. So you can see it's written in Inuktitut and in English, and it's actually, I had, I had hoped, I had been looking and praying for something like this, and my sister found this. Look at this. It is English and parallel in Nuktatuk. And what I want to show you here is the reason I bring this up is almost uh, so far, every single First Nations language I've tried to uh, learn in any way, shape, or form here in North America has been what they call polysynthetic. And basically, one word replaces like an entire sentence in English. It's multiple words all glued together into one word, and it expresses a concept. Uh, I can't even remember the word for university right now. Um, I'd have to go back and practice again. But let me give you an example. So you can see this box right here. That's one, uh, one account there. Well, compare the size of it with the size when it's written in Inuktitut. They have, it's way, way, way more dense, way smaller. And you can see entire paragraphs that are literally a couple of sentences in Inuktitut. So the reason I bring all this up is because with the red record, the red record is, or the Walam Ulam, Nope, nope, nope. Oh, screen in two. I've had it on there. 
So with the red record, the wall of mold, and I'm going to skip through all of this. You can see all this on David McCutcheon's website. The references, uh, the link is in the references of the video. So these are uh, from the Lenape tribes in the Delaware. They are an Anishinaabe group. And many have suggested that these are the original Anishinaabe speaking peoples. So in other words, all the dialects up here in Canada, uh, all, all the dialects in the northern U.S., all branched off from this people group. And so those dialects have branched off from that. Sort of like, you know, you can think of it like Scottish branching off of, you know, the British English. Uh, it's like you, you listen to the Scots and it's like, it's really hard to follow, right? It's a very, very, it is its own dialect. It's practically its own language, right? In similar fashion, right? So these, uh, the Lenape, originally their language was written in pictographs, sort of like hieroglyphs. Okay. You can think of it like, like that. And these are original, what they call prayer sticks. And these document the stories of the Lenape people. So all the all the storytelling that the elders would do, these were written down in pictographs. Now, young gentleman here at the Indigenous Center in Pembroke, I was talking to, he had actually gone to school to learn Ojibwe. He had actually taken it in school. He lived on the reserve of Manitoulin Island. He had gone to school, learned Ojibwe. Uh, and he was explaining to me that the original Ojibwe written language was pictographs. Now, I had never heard this before. This was news to me. I've seen a lot of uh, native pictographs, petroglyphs. I've studied a lot of them. I had no idea that that was the written language. I, I didn't know this. So this is uh, one example of some of the, probably the oldest example I think anybody has. Um, and it's, they called it the Red Record or the Wallum Olam. Now, Wikipedia, that leftist disinformation <laughs> page, um, I think it's fascinating that even they on Wikipedia do not say that, they, that this is a hoax. They say there's a lot of evidence it may be a hoax, but even they don't go so far as to say it is a hoax. And even if they did, well, frankly, I don't really care what they think. As you're about to see, it makes no sense to suggest that these were a hoax. So these were originally translated in the 1930s. And um, I forget who it was. Um, okay, let me... Watch your own it's because it's doing okay. Uh, do, do, do. No, flipping Vikings. Like German. Okay, I missed that conversation. And I should have, I've got my phone here for the YouTube comments, but I shouldn't have done that. So, uh, yeah, did Orrin Drew, though? Orrin Drew the drawings. Uh, yes, the last ones he did, um, the first few or first several were artificial intelligence generated uh, using the Mid Journey AI. And let me just catch up on the comments here. Okay, so I'm caught up there. Wikipedia uh, just says that they're a hoax. I think that's absurd. 
One of the commenters on YouTube last week, I forget who it was, thank you for mentioning this, uh, Bruce Malone had done a talk on this as well. And uh, also Tino, who uh, may or may not be, I haven't seen him in the chats tonight, uh, but Tino also did a uh, talk on this. The link for that is in the references as well. And here you can see the pictograms and the original translation done by Raffinich, however you say that, some French name. I don't know how you pronounce it. But Raffinich uh, worked exhaustively. Basically, he, he helped a uh, one of the native people who was really sick, nursed him back to health, and he gave him the gift of these prayer sticks. And so he worked with these people for a long time, trans trying to translate them into English. And so this is what he came up with. So basically, this is the creation story, and it also goes into a history of like wars and the, the white people showing up is in there as well. A fascinating, fascinating study. And I do have a copy of David McCutcheon's book, which is where all this is from. Uh, McCutcheon did an exceptionally good job, but uh, I was unable to get a copy of his book, not even through interlibrary loan. That's how hard it is to get. I managed to get a copy, but it's probably not showing up till next month. So maybe I'll do another live stream then. But in the meantime, so here's the, the first one. Day one is the creation account. I'm going to put it full screen so you can see. Day one, the sea everywhere at the beginning covered the earth. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like the Genesis account. This great spirit moved. Now remember, this is the Lenape people in North America in the 1800s. And then you go into day two, the primordial, everlasting, invisible, omnipresent, and the great spirit moved. Now, uh, the reason I brought up the uh, what, the polysynthetic words, so bearing in mind, these pictographs are in effect polysynthetic as well. So one pictograph is it's it's depicting an entire concept, not just one word, even though it can be used as one word. So uh, the young gentleman here in Pembroke. Um, who actually went to school to learn Ojibwe, he said that just the course on the creation account, the Anishinaabe creation myth, the course on that alone was six months long, just on the creation story. To give you an idea of just how exhaustive this is, okay? So, and you can start to see why. <laughs> so these are Anishinaabe people. This, these are Anishinaabe pictographs. And so you can start to see, you know, why you would spend so much time on it. Because this is uh, what one English guy did for many years of his life, was transliterating these pictographs into the English language. So uh, day three, uh, the Great Spirit brought forth the sky, the earth, the clouds, the heavens. Day four, he brought along the heavenly bodies, uh, including the stars, the day, the night. Uh, and creation was accomplished in an orderly progression. It brought forth all of these to move in harmony. And uh, it's also interesting to note that you have, if you recall, 
in Genesis, uh, things like uh, there was day before the sun was created. Um, and you see it here in the Lenape, in the Red Record, in the Wallamolum. You see that same reversal. Like, what is up with that? What are the odds? So uh, he, the Great Spirit went on to create living beings, the grandfather of men, the mother of life. Now, there's differences like day seven. They claim that happened on day seven and not day six. But again, this is, these are legends and mythologies. They get twisted or turned over time, right? So they get changed over time. Um, he gave the fish, turtles, beasts, and birds. And then he also brought along the snakes and sea monsters. So that's very interesting. And uh, let me skip ahead. I meant to skip ahead. Okay, so then it goes into the story of the fall. You've got the ancestors. The first men were alone, the first women. And an evil snake. Why a snake? What is up with that? Oh, sorry, I didn't, I block on the screen. So, and again, you can look all these up in uh, David McCutcheon's book, and maybe I'll show it to you later on, all these pictographs. And then you have an evil snake causing the fall and criminal acts, wrongfulness. These came, and then a great flood. Now, this is extremely common, uh, as we touched on last week. I mean, there's literally hundreds, hundreds, uh, there's dozens just in North America alone of flood myths, legends, and records. Uh, I showed last week the Canadian $20 bill had one of the First Nations uh, legends depicted in art form of the Great Flood, the Haida Gwaii uh, flood legend depicted on it. And that, of course, that original sculpture, of course, is of the, what is now called the Museum of History in Ottawa. Beautiful sculpture. Go check it out if you get the chance. And flooding and flooding, filling and filling, smashing and smashing, drowning and drowning. And here we go with Nana Bush again at Turtle Island. There's that Turtle Island we talked about last week. The grandfather of life, the grandfather of humanity. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Their home was icy. Their home was snowy. The home was windy. Their home was freezing. It's interesting to note the Bible does not talk about the Ice Age. So there's a lot of creationists like Michael Ord who've done a lot of study in the Ice Age. I've done a little bit. Um, it's never been all that interesting to me. Um, so I've, I have done some study on it. Uh, and interestingly, there is what they call the Canadian Stonehenge, uh, about uh, five hours drive from here. And there's these huge glacial erratics that appear to have been put in a line, but they would be impossibly hard to move for the Indians to move in a row. But it sure looks like they did. Uh, you know, kind of reflections of uh, the Great Pyramids of Egypt, right? How did they move these huge rocks, you know? Okay, I'm just going to check the chats real quick. Doesn't sound like a myth to me, at least not yet. Why do people... Uh, is that YPPO? <laughs> Why do people seem to conflate oral transmission with myth? Maybe I missed that part. Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. 
Um, and I'm using that word myth. Um, no, I think, I think I'm using it accurately uh, because in, in terms of the meaning of the word, uh, for example, both creation and evolution could be classified as myths. Um, they literally fall into the definition. <laughs> so, so it's a, it's a pretty broad, you know, all encompassing definition, if you will. Uh, but anyway, this is very interesting. And this is this whole idea of what appears to be the ice age recorded on these original prayer sticks. Why would that be there if it was a hoax? The whole concept of an ice age, and I noticed Bruce Malone brought this out as well in his lecture that uh, somebody on YouTube kindly pointed out to me. Um, he, he also pointed this out as well. The concept of the ice age wasn't going to come about until decades later. Now, at the time that uh, he wrote this book and this translation, there was records of like the little ice age, which hit Iceland, Greenland, uh, Europe. Uh, we talked about that two episodes ago with Ellen uh, Montgomery. Uh, we talked about how in Iceland there are entire there was glaciers that were named after the farms that they overran. Those glaciers are now melting back and exposing the farms from the 1700s, or sorry, I think the 1100s. I've forgotten the date now. Anyway, what they called during the Little Ice Age, where entire towns and farms were literally overrun by glaciers. So there was records of that back when this was written. So one could argue, oh, okay, well, he knew about the other records, so he was imposing his English translation on them. I disagree. But I do want to acknowledge that, yes, there was historical records of the land freezing. Now, interestingly, these prayer sticks in later parts talk about the people escaping the freezing by going north. That's right. They went to Canada to escape winter. So, <laughs> okay. Oh, Tino's here. He's late, but he's here. Ah, good seeing you again, Tino. Thanks for the slides, by the way, um, because I tried to get them off of uh, McCutcheon's site, but you actually had more than he did. So uh, Tino's excellent talk is in the references, the, the listing for that. Okay, I'm not, so let, me, let me go to YouTube chats for a second. I just want to take a look here. Okay, Dan Strait. Mentions, it's not, uh, you know what, let me, okay, hopefully the sound is going to keep working. Um, now I'm not sure anymore. So it's showing I have a microphone. Hopefully you can hear it. Um, it's not just how they move those ridiculously heavy stones. It's also why. Very, very good point. Very good question. And uh, in our movie, The Noah Flood, coming out shortly, we actually discuss the um the pyramids of egypt and i'll give you a big hint as to how they move those stones on some of the stones was written like the names of the team carved into the stone that carved the stone they these weren't slaves they took pride in their work and some of those stones basically written in egyptian hieroglyphics was written this side up Go figure that one out. 
And it's also, I believe, exactly how they moved the Trilithon stones in the Temple of Baalbek in Lebanon, uh, which weighed uh, 2,000 tons, if I recall. So most of the freight trains we ran in North, uh, northern Ontario were typically 10,000 ton. So, I mean, the locomotives alone were about, oh, just under 500 tons, right? So, you know, 2,000 tons would be like, you know, what is that? Doing? Is that? Eight locomotives. Uh, they're heavy. They're big rocks. How did those people move them? Um, it's an excellent question. And I think we have the solution, uh, which we'll be sharing in the movie coming up. So thenoahflood.com, check it out. Uh, we're going to have some big announcements coming out about that uh, soon. Okay, 10 after 8. I got to get moving here. Uh, oh, okay. So I will, I will just mention this real quick. It even, the prayer sticks even document the apparent, uh, the apparent arrival of white man. For at that time, from north and south, you can see the north and south, the white people came. Very interesting. Friendly people in great ships. Who are they? Very intriguing. So I think it's a hoax to claim that the red record is a hoax to be honest. Um, so here we go, come back again. So bearing in mind that these pictograms, while they're often, uh, and, and the uh, polysynthetic languages, they cobble together multiple words into one big long word, right? And it can be really long sometimes, um, which once you learn the smaller words, it becomes easier to to say the bigger words, right? <laughs> but it's still, it's tough. Pray for me. Um, but in the Seneca language, the mythical turtle, of course, is called Hanua. Um, remarkably similar sounding to the name Noah. And so you can see how over time this uh, storytelling, you know, the, 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 one of the elders way back in the day, thousands of years ago, sit down, children, let me tell you about the story of how Noah saved the world from a great flood. And then... Centuries later, one of the elders sits down. Look, I don't get it, but let me tell you the story about how the turtle saved the world from the great flood. Because the name Noah and the word for turtle in Seneca, Hanoa, were almost identical. And so you see a lot of this mutation. And this is where we come back to the myth definition of myth. And you can see how the changes would take place. It's very actually logical to see. Um, and uh, I started mentioning this at the, at the start, and I forgot, I didn't finish. So my friend, what he pointed out was um, not only were the people uh, deifying the people who lived great lengths of time, uh, who lived very old, much longer than anybody else after the flood, uh, that came from before the flood, um, but the in, in Hebrew, the language is written uh, is read and written right to left, whereas in English is written left to right. So if someone sees the name Noah, for example, um, written in Hebrew, and they know the characters enough that they know to how to enunciate it, for example, um, they might read Noah as Oan, and so suddenly you see all these names cross-culturally, cross-language, and they get reversed. 
And this is what led my friend into all kinds of discoveries of the ancient myths and legends around the world and how suddenly, like Vishnu, Nua, which is one of the spellings of Noah, we even have it in some of our Bibles today, uh, the name Noah is spelt new. Um, so Vishnu, Noah of the waters, there's your fish god. Today, today the name, the word Vish now represents fish, whereas originally it represented the word for waters. So it's Noah of the waters. Um, you can see where all this comes, comes about, right? Okay, let me go to my, oops, list. Banging the cameras. I'm going to hear thief. Yes, I am. What's your point? Tina's accusing me of being a thief for stealing his slides. I'd like to say for the record that he's correct. <laughs> okay, so I got all that. That is as far as I got. Let me see what my other slides are here. Yeah, so that's the end of those. All right. I think that was all I was going to share for tonight. And it's actually quarter after eight already. So we're, we're already an hour and 15 in. Um, I will go to the chats um, and just see what, uh, if anybody's got any questions or anybody has anything they want to talk about. Um, for my First Nations people listening to this, I, I hope you can start to see why I'm saying dig into your roots. I want to challenge, I want to leave you with that challenge. Um, your elders are dying off and they are taking a whole pile of wisdom, stories, knowledge, the original language. They're taking it all with them. Your languages are becoming extinct. And this is only the start of what I've been studying. Um, there's, there's a whole pile I got to get into. Uh, the hare, for example, uh, Ninebush. The hare or the rabbit also comes up in a whole pile of these flood legends. Why the rabbit? I don't know yet. Um, the, the mud as well. That's another common thing. Uh, that might tie in because a lot, a lot of the stories, uh, the First Nations storytelling, you'll see they actually put the creation account and the flood account. Um, it's almost like they get mixed together, where it's almost depicting Noah as being the creator or the first man. Uh, or, uh, for instance, the Micmac. Um, I've forgotten his name. Uh, the Micmac first man, who was the red man because he was made from red earth. And we saw last week how, how uh, the name Adam literally is red earth. He was named after red earth. That is where his name came from, uh, Adom. So anyway, I want to challenge you, leave you with the challenge to dig into your roots, because I think what you're going to find is that your very culture, your very language, your historical stories, that have been passed down generation after generation after generation, I think you're going to find out that they all point not just to the Bible being the correct historical record, because the legends and myths have gotten changed over time, transliterated, this is the other tragedy, is, is uh, when white men, especially in North America, um, they even forbid speaking the First Nation languages in the residential schools and on the reserves. 
They were trying to literally get rid of even the very language itself. And which is one of the reasons you, you should sit up and ask a question, why? Why, and why I said last week, this is, was a deliberate satanic attack on the First Nations people. Very specific. Why would they try and rid the world of the First Nations languages? Not just remove the Indian, but remove their stories. They were forbidden to participate in any storytelling or any native rituals or anything like that. Just ask questions. Why do we have these rituals? Why do we have, what are these stories telling us? What can we learn from them? And um, I think what you will find is that your very culture, language, and your uh, traditional stories will all point to the creator, Sa'i Gitche Manitou and Cree, that creator as none other than as the Apostle John wrote in, in John chapter 1, verse 3, he was the, cre he was the creator is none other than Jesus Christ, I think is what you will find. Okay, I'm going to go to the, the chats for a second here. Okay, Dan Strait, give me a second just to read a couple things. George Bond mentions leaves from trees that grow in Mediterranean weather. Yes, uh, he's talking about the Arctic, I'm assuming. Uh, Vikings even grew crops. Correct. Uh, they grew grapes in Greenland. Um, why do they call it Greenland? You know, things like that. Uh, and also, as we pointed out last week, even when you look at the quote-unquote fossil trees, uh, like up at Axel Heiberg, which is virtually the North Pole, um, these were trees that grew four times the amount in one season compared to trees in a temperate forest in British Columbia today. So these fossil trees, which are still soft, you can cut them with a saw, you can drill them with a drill, you can burn them. Uh, I think I showed video last week of, uh, or two weeks ago, sorry, when we were talking about uh, aliens causing global warming. Uh, I advance took one of my samples and actually burnt it. And you have to do that for carbon 14 dating. And so he actually burnt it and he filmed it. And yeah, it just catches fire. The Inuit burn it to make campfires. <laughs> so it's, a, it's not at all fossilized, but you can look at the tree rings and there is no late wood. These trees almost at the North pole, hundreds of kilometers North of the tree line today, and they experienced no winter. They were experiencing tropical climate conditions and growing four times faster than trees in the current temperate climate. So again, yeah, this is all in the north, the high Arctic. This is one of the reasons why I've wanted to, for decades, wanted to go the, explore the Canadian high Arctic. I don't really care where. Said, so, you know, I've been meaning to get up there. I just haven't made it up there yet. Um, Okay, why people? I wonder how much of this is attributable to missionary drift. No offense, but could calling a history a myth not also be such an attack? Uh, fair enough. Um, and how much of this could be attributable to missionary drift? It's a good question, and that's kind of what the originals uh, claiming that the Red Record was a hoax, that's kind of what they were saying, is because they were looking through... Uh, 
Rafinisks or however you say his name, when they were looking through his original notes, he kept scratching out English words and putting in new English words. And what they were saying was, look, 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 he's trying to, uh, he's trying to uh, impose the English language on the red record, on these prayer sticks. I disagree. I think he was trying to sort out exactly how to put this into words because it's a polysynthetic language based on pictographs, which are polysynthetic diagrams that uh, imply concepts. It's not a single word. So I think he was just struggling with how do you put this into English? Um, you, you basically have to write it in an entire sentence. So I, I disagree with them on that point. Um, I just think they're dead wrong. But anyway, uh, Dan Strait, I heard an Indian woman from Canada talk about the schools they would create for all the Indian children were often horrific. They were abused and there was no accountability. Um, did I bring that? I did not. Give me one second. I'm going to bring that up. Here it is right here. Uh, yeah, I think everybody can see that. So, um, yes, now the, the uh, residential schools here in, in Canada, but not just in Canada, in the U.S. as well. Uh, in fact, the River Wimps. Um, he wound up at one of them. And he talks about signs above the doors at the entrance to the school and how you were forbidden uh, from speaking the languages or uh, carrying on traditions or anything like that. Here in Canada, it was really bad because they forcibly took children from the reserves and put them into these residential schools. And <clears throat> it wasn't just... Um, there's a lot of misconceptions as to what went on there. And um, I'm not I'm not defending in any way, shape, or form some of the stuff that went on. That's that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we need to be careful about what truth is. Uh, there's a big push for truth and reconciliation here in Canada. Um, I think it's a good thing. But how can you have truth and reconciliation if you don't have the truth? And unfortunately, there's been a whole mess of half-truths and falsehoods that have been purported as truths. Um, and it isn't just the First Nations residential schools. The big tragedy there, which kind of ties into what we talked in last week, this was a deliberate attack on the First Nations people. They forcibly took children from their families and put them into residential schools to remove the Indian from the people, is what they did. Um, but for example, a friend of mine, he, he does happen to be first nations. Uh, him and his sisters were put into a residential school here in Quebec. Uh, they were put there by their parents, but it was just as horrific there. Um, and you got to understand a lot of the deaths that happened, um, were things like suicide and disease, probably the majority, um, for instance, he described how he stood at the door uh, while this one girl slit her wrists and died. And so he stood watching the door to make sure that none of the nuns or priests came along. Um, and she died. And I think he was like 12 years old at the time. Um, so things like that. I mean, it, this, it, was, it was pretty horrific, right? Um, but that seems to be, uh, I've forgotten the guy's name started a global children's ministry and um, wrote a book uh, called Too Small to Ignore. And he, uh, he details uh, his stay 
at, it was a missionary residential school. So these, this was run by missionaries and it was for children of missionaries in the missions organization. And they were horribly abused and it was all kept secret. You're not allowed to talk about it and you can't talk about it. Um, it was very, it was, it was downright demonic is what it was. Um, it seems to be something with these, with residential schools as a whole. Now, combine that with the nasty, forceful taking of children from their homes, forcing them into residential schools, uh, that just, that makes a bad situation way, way worse. And the residential schools was a major method of of the enemy trying to destroy the Indian here in Canada. Um, anyway, I won't get into more of that, um, but that's also a very, very good book to read, uh, by the way, Too Small to Ignore. Um, exceptional, exceptionally well-written. Um, and he just shared his story, right? So anyway, okay, let me read. Okay, Bad Gamer says, read. I, uh, let me pull that one up. Rumble Chats. No audio in Rumble Chat. Okay, thanks for letting me know, Kevin. Uh, so, Kevin, how do you say that creator name in Micmac? Genius Scam, or however you say that. Okay, and Kevin suggests, read, I Lost My Talk by Rita Joe. Interesting. I Lost My Talk. Hmm. So, is, that's a First Nations author? I'm assuming if it is, I'm, I might be interested in checking that out um, because that kind of ties in with what we've been talking about the past two weeks. It's where even the, the languages themselves uh, have were under attack and on the verge of many of them are on the verge of extinction. The Seneca language, like I brought up um, the Seneca language. Uh, I think there was 20, an estimated 25 speakers in the world of the remaining Seneca language. So you just got tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that we're losing. Um, anyway, okay. Kachi Niskam. Kachi Niskam. Okay, so apparently that is the Micmac name for the crea the great creator, Kachi Niskam. All right, so it's 826. I'm going to call it a night because I need a drink of water. And uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, I haven't been looking on Facebook. Oh, I hope nobody's been leaving comments on Facebook. If you did, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Uh, yeah, a few people. Okay. Zaley wrote, it's great you're helping preserve and share their heritage history. It not only glorifies God, it shows we're really one family. Just our various family albums record our record our family history from different aspects and culture. Thank you, Zaley. Yes, you're correct. Actually, you know what? Let me find one picture to bring that point home. I'm glad you brought that up, Zaley. Because, whoops, before I head off for the night, uh, screen into, there we are. Okay, so if you are ever in or near Big Valley, Alberta, the Big Valley Creation Science Museum, bbcsn.com. What you're looking at here, these are two charts from a, uh, a castle in England. And they document 
the lineage of King Henry the third, if I recall, I forget now, one of the King Henrys, documents, because I mean, it was the lineage was very, her, uh, very important to them. This is how you determine who the king or queen is. So they have historical records from King Henry, I think the third, right back to Adam and Eve. And on the sides here, you can see other genealogies from other cultures, other languages. And as you go farther back, oh, look at this. The names in other languages start lining up with the names in the English historical records. So you can, you can see how it's, we really are all one family. We are all one blood. Uh, so anyway, if you ever get the chance, Big Valley Creation Science Museum, beautiful little town. Uh, I, I helped build this museum, but uh, that was uh, Harry Nyborg, the, uh, the the builder of the museum. And um, uh, anyway, so you get that, you can go see it for yourself. Uh, it even has, I think I have a picture of it. I do. There's Adam and Eve. Well, that's an awful picture. I do have a much better picture than that. I don't know why this one's so pixelated. Forgive me. Anyway, if you get the chance, do stop in and uh, check that out. Okay, let me... Oh, okay. So, um, I won't go to the Rumble Chats because it will... It will cut out my audio, but uh, Bad Gamer was just describing that book he mentioned. It is a Micmac woman, residential school survivor from Nova Scotia. So, okay, I lost my voice. I lost my talk. I like that. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, thank you for that. And uh, let me take one look. It looks like a red TARDIS. Oh. Awesome is it online. Dan Strait. I think um, you're referring to... The genealogies, actually, the genealogies from that are on display, uh, that is a reproduction. Uh, that is a reproduction of historic scrolls uh, from the Lambeth Palace in England. So these are actually one of the rare copies that they've allowed to be made um, was these reproductions. And we were put onto this from this book uh, by Bill Cooper, After the Flood. Bill Cooper sadly passed away just last year, the year before. Fantastic piece of work, this book. Um, and so he just, he traces the early post-flood history of Europe, traced right back to Noah. And he talks, that's where he talked about the Lambeth Palace scrolls and all these other geneal genealogical records and stuff. So fantastic book, if you can get a copy grab a copy so it's not online but that book is still available uh, if you can get a copy all right thank you everybody um i'm gonna bid you all god bless and thanks for coming out i really appreciate that and thanks for everybody for joining um so again next week two weeks to live uh if you uh for those of you who weren't here at the beginning um i'm gonna have my good good buddy roland on what would you do if you were at the doctor's office and the doctor grabs you by the shoulders, gives you a good shake and tells you, you don't have three weeks left to live. 
what would you do? And you can hear Roland's testimony himself uh, from himself because 20 years later, he's still alive, even though he was told he had maybe two weeks left to live. What would you do? And so we're going to talk about the spiritual roots of diseases from a biblical scientific perspective. He's going to share his testimony. I'm going to also share some of my testimony uh, from what I learned from this because these people, well, they nailed me in my sickness and many others as well. So anyway, I hope you'll join me again uh, next week. Thank you all. God bless. Have a good night.